disturbed, everybody. I am Darren Carp here with John Thrasher. Uh, I always get to do the handgun. I was going to say. John, but no one can see. I digress. Neither here nor there. Johnny Boy, how you doing? I'm great. What people don't get to see is our Zooms where you're doing like a, a, cool, a cool guy type of thing. A, yeah. a cool, hip, sweet, you know, bro Guns just hanging blazing. out. Yeah, I'm just... I'm yeah. just Hanging out and chilling, being all oh, cool, talking oh. a little murder. Um, what is the housewife things thing? Don't be, be all cool. Un- don't be, don't all be all uncool. uncool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know who said that, but although still. the new one is chic. Oh my god, that's so chic. Oh um, no, really? I was yeah, so sick of that a while back. No, that Dorit said says that to Jamie Lee Curtis in a recent episode of Beverly Hills. But anyway, anyway, I'm I'm feeling very energized today. I Good. had. To be honest, I, I switched it up a little bit with my drinking okay. habits today, okay? So okay. before we recorded, this was oh, just God. to get me going. I took a oh. shot of vodka. That was just fun. What? <laughs> that was just fun. All right. That was just fun. Okay. And so to bring me back up, you know, yeah. a shot of vodka, great. I'm having, this is a little pick-me-up, a little caffeine, if you will, a little Diet Coke. Oh, good. Okay, and a, a little, little Diet Coke. A little, little Diet Coke. So one shot. With a soda, technically. I just didn't okay, do them enough. at the same time. All right. What about, what about you, John? Well, let me tell you something. I am so excited because I'm drinking an iced coffee. Can you hear it? I'll Is be it, honest. It, it's you not can... that blueberry hazelnut bullshit. No. Okay. Hell no. Thank God. Hell no. Hell no. Okay, good. By the way, you see my coffee. You can see it right here in the Zoom. Although I'm blurring out. It's um, blurring out a little I bit. I see it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm having a nice coffee from... Java House, which is this new oh. company I've discovered, and I am so excited about it. Darren, I've sent you some information about it. So basically, at this company called Java House, they sort of promote creating delicious and affordable coffee at home. The the thing I love about it, you and I have had this long conversation. It's it's spanned multiple episodes. The great coffee debate. The great coffee debate. What is better, Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Whatever. We're putting that to rest right now. Because the best flavor I have had is Java House. Oh, cold, it's called Cold Brew on Tap. Mm. What you, Starbucks? You got to jump in a car and go pay nine thousand dollars for a cup of coffee? Nope, not living that life. Yeah, you don't want to live that life. You want to be at home. You want to wake up. You want to hit brew, and then brew it <laughs> is brew. That's what you want. Absolutely, but you don't, Darren. Java House is amazing because you don't even need that. I have what's called Cold Brew on Tap. Let me tell you about this. Okay. It's imagine boxed wine, but it's boxed cold brew, and oh. it has a little, what is it called? Dispenser? Like what's yeah. the thing you press? A little spigot. A little spigot. spigot thank you. It fits comfortably in your fridge, and it serves delicious iced coffee on tap. It's a gallon of their uh, oh smooth cold brew, easy access box. It's available in medium and dark roast. So I'm filling up my cup. With which is my reusable cup with ice water or ice water, sorry, ice, a little bit of creamer, and then it's just I open the fridge, bzz, get my iced coffee, wait, and I, I am need set. that. Wait, I know wait, wait. it's amazing. I, I, yeah, like wait, it literally is amazing. The only thing that I say like iced coffee, like this sounds like the second best way to administer iced coffee. The first best way <laughs> is just like. First? IV straight into your into arm. Your so this actually They sounds... don't offer that product yet. I <laughs> think like, they are working on it. Yep. Do you have an IV drip of this drip by of any this. chance? Do you have I it? I know. 
And Darren, I'm sending you uh, the cold brew pods that they sent Ooh. to me as well. So you're going to be able to put these into a Keurig or whatever else, you know, that makes these kind of like um, instant iced coffee drinks. And the cool thing about these um, cold brew pods is they're not like um, it's liquid, essentially. And you know this. I sent you some information about this. So you saw it a little bit. No, I, I and I know what I liked about it though when you first sent it to me is just because like I'm constantly traveling and I gotta yeah, say you are. no place and I'm I'm sure I'm gonna get added no place outside <laughs> the United States knows how to make an iced coffee. I'm, no, that's I'm going true. out on a limb. No one knows. It's like they've yeah. never heard of an iced coffee. They'll be like, I can pour you hot coffee over ice, and I'm like, that's not the same thing. A hundred percent. Brew it cold. So these sort of seem like a. Could I, I feel like I could take them on the road with me. You know, like yeah, it's like, like a they're super. Thing to take them and travel. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they're sealed really tightly, so they're not gonna like burst or anything. So you can like throw them in your book bag or whatever. And there's all these different like. All right. I, I'm t I'm telling you, you're gonna love it, Java House. By the way, you can use those, and what I hope you'll use them with in a couple weeks is an espresso martini. I am. We have to coordinate because okay. I want to yeah, put them are. at the same time so we can like taste test. Yeah, we on will for camera. sure. Okay, a hundred percent. So we're gonna be doing that in the coming weeks. Love us some Java House. Forget Starbucks. Forget Dunkin' Donuts. Forget having to run out and get your coffee. It's all available for you. Exciting. And I love them so much, Darren, that they have sent us an, an exclusive code. Just for our listeners. Oh my God, that's so nice. You can go to that Java House. That's right, javahouse.com, and you can use code SHAKEN for 10% off of your order. I promise, if you love coffee and having it right in your, like, boxed wine in your um, refrigerator, you're going to want to get this. So check it out. You're going to love it. I promise. By the way, Darren, speaking of great products, are you, you're heading, you're traveling at the end of the month. Are you going to be able to take your gummies with you? I was just thinking about this. I, I plan on it because, okay. I mean, you're talking about a pick me up. These are more like a cool yeah, come down, that's right. uh, yeah, which that's I right. need. But yeah, I kind of gotten, I've gotten so used to them. Like it's been such a calm way. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about those Lumi gummies, of course, that we kind of mm -hmm. start every show with and talking about them. But what we do really love them. I want to be productive on the road. I want to have a good time. I want to be creative but I also really want to sleep and whenever I travel mm -hmm. I just you it takes them. me yeah. longer than normal to kind of get into me the too. swing of falling asleep so that way I feel like with this I can, I'm going to be able to kind of hit that natural rhythm a lot sooner on the Definitely. go so I'm really excited about my Lumi gummies you know that I love them we love a product, if you can't tell, on this show. Uh, yeah, we do. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code SHAKEN to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com, code SHAKEN. John, every week I feel like I start the case, and I, I want to I switch it up a little bit. I want to let okay. the lady go first this time. <laughs> All so right. I want you to take it away. Let's do All it. All right. Thank you for always thinking of me that way. You're welcome. Well, Mary Beth Rowe was born on September 11th, 1942 in Duanesburg, New York. Do you know where that is? I don't, I'm not I don't. familiar. Okay. It definitely sounds like outside Northern. of New York City. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? 
that's the funny thing about being a New Yorker is like you live if you live in the city, you generally don't know much about the rest of the state. I've noticed. But even most people, if you're like, oh, I live in New York, no one's ever assuming like, oh, well, what part? They're not like Albany. They're like, no, you live yeah. in New York City. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Vastly different. This, I feel like New York is one of those states where like you really, truly get super different people and all the different corners of the state, you know, but absolutely. Absolutely. Well, after graduating from Dwaynesburg High School, she became a nurse's assistant at a hospital in Schenectady, New York, which I do know where that is. That's upstate. Love Schenectady. Yep. In 1963, Mary Beth was set up on a blind date with a man named Joe Tinning. The two fell in love, and they were married two years later in 1965. The couple started growing their family right away and had two children within the first five years of their marriage, a girl named Barbara and a boy named Joseph Jr., um, in December of 1971, Mary Beth gave birth to their third child, a daughter named Jennifer. Now, Jennifer developed acute meningitis immediately after her birth mm. and sadly passed away on January 3rd, 1972, at only eight days old. In fact, she was uh, so young, she never even got to leave the hospital. Meningitis is really terrifying, and it's really basically like an infection of the layers of your brain. Yeah, So it's exactly. just, especially for... Uh, someone who was just born. Terrible, yeah. Terrible. Now, this is only the 70s. I don't know how different the medical landscape was at that time, but I feel like you don't really hear about this kind of early infant death like that. Like these days, at least. Or I mean, I'm sure it happens. Detectives, but, yeah, maybe they're able yeah. to cure it or something when obviously yeah. anything untreated is going to be bad all around. But yeah, it's kind of like our diseases are morphing, certainly with us. Yeah, for real. Well, on January 20th, three weeks after Jennifer's death, Mary Beth brought her two-year-old son, Joseph Jr., to the local emergency room where she told doctors he had suffered a seizure. Wow. The little boy was kept under observation for several hours, but when he appeared medically normal, Mary Beth was allowed to take him home. Um, and again, this is another sign of the times, I feel like. like I feel like wouldn't they be able nowadays to sort of do a brain scan or do some kind of some sort of detection. Now, I have a family member, a young young kid, frankly, in my family who does suffer from seizures, and I know all of the stuff that he's had to go through, so I'm kind of connected in this way. Um, but nonetheless, when, uh, returned, when she returned to the hospital a few hours later with Joseph, he was dead. Mary Beth frantically told the hospital staff that he had to lay down, to, he had laid down to take a nap, and when she went to check on him, he was blue from lack of oxygen. Oh. Now, interestingly, no autopsy was ever performed on Joseph, and Mary Beth just went home. I wonder as a parent, though, like, wouldn't you kind of, outside of any religious, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I wonder, like, wouldn't you want to know? Like, wouldn't you want to have uh, yeah. some autopsy? Yeah. Absolutely. Done, or wouldn't you think that would be kind of required? If a That's an, again, is this a sign and, of the times? I'm and like, you knew he wasn't choking or something? Right, like, right. Well, six weeks later, Mary Beth arrived in an ambulance at the same hospital, but this oh time God. with her four-year-old daughter, Barbara. Now, according to Mary Beth, her little girl also had experienced a seizure. Okay. Doctors Which, of course, this is genetic. Sometimes seizures are genetic that way, so... Maybe not necessarily too far-fetched to believe that two of her kids have medical seizures. Totally possible. Yeah. Um, doctors wanted to keep Barbara in the hospital overnight, but her mother insisted on bringing her home, which 
I'm trying not to place judgment on it. I know. Because, like, I know. It's what hard. if your kid has some sort of panic attack if they're not home? Or there's some reason that the kid has to be home. Like, I'm not a yeah. parent. It's really hard for me to judge from afar. But mother and daughter were back. Uh, mother and daughter were back several hours later. Barbara was unconscious and passed away that night while receiving medical treatment. Oh, my God. The medical team suspected she may have died from Ray's syndrome, which is a rare condition found in children that causes blood sugar to kind of suddenly drop while the ammonia levels in their blood rise, and it causes seizures and loss of consciousness. Okay. Now, there was also a strong suspicion that the children's deaths were caused by an undiagnosed genetic disorder, kind of what you were alluding to, John, that it's like yeah. it could be in it could be in the gene pool. People close to the family were therefore extremely surprised when they continued having children. I also don't want to make a moral argument here about yeah. this stuff because I know people have can be carriers of some sort of gene and then they test it. Some people right. choose not to, some people do choose to. I don't think there's like one right answer to this. Right. I don't know. But nonetheless, um, at this point, she's lost now all three of her kids, which is well, she, wild. Yeah, she's lost. Right. She's lost three of her kids. You know, the third she went one, three, and then two. So she's yeah. she's losing them for sure. Um, on November twenty second, nineteen seventy three, Mary Beth and Joe had a fourth baby. And this is a little boy named Timothy. Now, their joy was short-lived, however, only three weeks after his birth. The couple brought their infant back to St. Clair's Hospital, where he was pronounced dead. There has to be some type of weird limitation where, like, if all of your kids are dying, not only suddenly, but similarly, and not in the same thing. Like, it's not like, oh, all kids died in a car accident. It's like, these kids are dying at different times, but they're all dying, then, like... What did you think Child Protective Services or something would have to be called just something say that. like that? Like, well, Mary Beth told doctors she had simply found him dead in his crib. Doctors were unable to find anything wrong with Timothy and ruled his cause of death sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS, which has been shown recently to kind of be bullshit. Um, that SIDS really isn't a thing; that it's usually caused by other things, but. I think that's still preliminary. Now, on March 30th... Yeah, and we have more details about SIDS coming up, so we can get into that, too. On March 30th, 1975, the couple brought home their fifth baby, Nathan. And when Nathan was almost six months old, Mary Beth brought him back to St. Clair's (sighs) Hospital, where he was pronounced DOA dead on arrival. Five kids, same hospital? Mary Beth told hospital staff that she was driving in her car with baby Nathan in the front seat when all of a sudden he simply stopped breathing. Okay, so my first question is, is like... From what we know now, if she's killing the kids, yeah, why take them to the same hospital? Because wouldn't the same hospital have red flags going up all over the place where we're being like, this is the fifth fucking kid that this woman has brought in and she yeah. seems to never fucking know. If I lost one kid, I wouldn't let the kid out of my sight. If I lost two, three, four, five, like, yeah. I would never let my kid, like, I would be on them all the of time. Of course. Well, you know, at this point, doctors weren't able to find any medical reason for Nathan's death. So his passing, too, was ruled as SIDS. And to your point, I'm thinking maybe, you know, let's let's hypothetically at this point in this conversation say that she was the one responsible for this. Sure. Maybe she's going back because they're clearly not capable of figuring out what the true reasoning could be here. You know what I mean? Like I mean, maybe she's yes, like getting just, away with it. But even if five of your kids suddenly combust, like is that not like a red flag <laughs> for the hospital to be like, gee, 
Gee whiz, I wonder what I don't happened know. Here. And maybe yeah. it's genetic, but look, don't you think they would have figured that out too? I don't it's just odd. I don't and know. And this and this also brings up another conversation where you know, I'm thinking to like what or not another conversation similar to what you were just saying, which is like at what point after five children you know, and now we're going back to the conversation of like maybe it wasn't her, right? Like what if these this is actually how these kids were dying? Do you say, okay, after five kids randomly dying in my care with for no apparent reason, maybe I should not have any more kids. Again, I'm not a mother uh, except to the children of the show, of course. Right. I'm not a parent. Of course. So I can never make that decision or understand that decision, but I would think that that has to be entering into her mind at some at some point here. If this I is would... truly how they're happening. I would think, but all of yeah. this is a pretty shocking to me. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's worth noting that SIDS, which as Darren mentioned, is sudden infant death syndrome, is not a well-understood condition, but also a fairly uncommon cons- uh, occurrence. Around three in 1,000 infants will die from SIDS. So that that's, also seems high. That seems high to me, too. I agree. Like, that seems that's high. That's not that many. Yeah, that's like three kids per, like, what, high school or something? Like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. A cause of death being ruled as SIDS occurs after everything else has been ruled out and an infant has simply stopped breathing. Right. Okay. So it's so we're not saying that. that like three yeah. out of a thousand kids are sh- shooken to death. Right. I mean, right, I'm right. shaken and disturbed constantly, but. Welcome yeah. to the show. Exactly. Yes. But SIDS usually occurs in infants between two to four months old and is not a genetic illness. SIDS is rare enough that having more than one infant die from it in a family is considered an extreme abnormality and cause for concern. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) The odds of more than two infants in the same day, or sorry, in the same family dying from SIDS is considered astronomical, which of course, Darren, like that's basically what we've been saying. Yeah. So in 1978, Mary Beth and Nathan started to process, uh, started the process of adopting another baby. So now it's like, okay, we've had five kids. They have all died. Maybe it's time to think of having children in another way that doesn't include whatever maybe tr- uh, genetic predisposition comes with their biological children. And I'm thinking there's got to be some sort of procedure here where if child protective services or something is called whatever the hospital obligation is that they would also ask the husband what's going on here oh good point well you would think so but also like i keep picturing like the 70s and i'm like i just don't see like medical staff in the 70s like doing this we've come so far so quickly in the last couple decades i don't know maybe i'm wrong i'll ask my mom yeah that's that's a good way to do it um well, anyway, as the adoption proceedings were underway, the couple learned that Mary Beth had actually become pregnant, and they decided to carry on with the adoption, and in August of 1987, a baby named Michael was placed with the family. Well, in October of the same year, Mary Beth gave birth to her sixth baby, Mary Frances, and in January of 1979, Darren, Mary I, Beth brought yep. Mary Frances to the emergency room across the street from her home, by the way, in a panic, claiming her daughter had a seizure. Well, we we do know that if, if it was Michael doing that, then she couldn't. Then it's th- like then it's yeah. it's like they don't even have the same genes. Like right, right. You know. Something else is is awry potentially. Well, thankfully, the ER doctors were able to revive Mary Frances. That's good. Uh, and so that's yeah, some good news here in these otherwise horrible stories. But 
However, the following month, Mary Beth returns with her daughter, once again claiming she found the baby unconscious. Mary Frances was brain dead, and when she eventually passed, her death was ruled as, word of the day, SIDS. And Mary Beth got pregnant again, because she is fertile fucking myrtle. Let me tell you, everyone's wanting to get pregnant. This woman can just pop them out like fucking candy corn. Mary Beth got pregnant again very soon after Mary Frances' death and gave birth to her seventh baby no seventh biological child we know she is michael which is that's right her seventh kid seventh biological baby jonathan yep. in november of 1970 she's gonna run out of names soon in well, march can i add one yeah. thing quickly just before we move on i'm like obviously like yeah the physicality about all of this is a lot but like you know regardless of and we're gonna get to the details here but regardless of she, if she's doing this intentionally or if this is truly sids or unexpected like mentally what what does it feel like to have six children die, die? Whether whether intentional or not, we'll get to that soon. And then continually, just continually be pregnant and give birth like over and over again. Like, you know, I'll, I'll just say this. Like one of my best friends recently had a kid and I'm, I was very much a part of her pregnancy and like seeing her pregnant and all the struggles that come with that, both physically and emotionally. And like, Imagining her doing that seven different times, and we're not even halfway through this story. I'm just like, that just must be a lot for any woman, but especially someone who's done it so many times. Like, well, that's a lot. right, it would. I would think it would affect you mentally. But yeah, yeah. In March of 1980, when Jonathan was four months old, Mary Beth brought him to St. Clair's unconscious. <sighs> the doctors revived the baby and conducted a thorough workup of him. Once again, they were unable to find anything that might have caused his illness. Which makes me suspect they're not checking in the right area. Yeah, like this is what I'm saying. Like the medical people need to be but like. Let's yeah. say, and we don't let. Let's say we don't know what happens. We have yeah. read cases before where like, yeah. tends to be women poisoning their husbands with arsenic, and the doctors aren't checking. That's right. For yeah. arsenic poisoning, so it just looks like you know heart failure. Yeah, you know whatever. Right. Well, on, yeah. only a few days later, however, Mary Beth returned to St. Clair's with baby Jonathan. This time, he was brain dead and passed away on March 24th, 1980, while undergoing medical treatment. Of course, mm. the doctors at St. Clair's were extremely familiar with the medical history of the tinning children. Mary Beth had now lost seven children to what appeared to be the same unknown condition some of the doctors involved believed that some sort of genetic condition was kind of causing yeah. them to perish during infancy. Now... Almost everyone on the medical team was incredibly suspicious of Mary Beth. Great. Thank God. A little <laughs> sussy here. Yeah, a little and they, sussy. And they did discuss their sussiness uh, with mm-hmm. each other. However, as an exact cause of death was not able to be determined with any of the children, the police were unable yeah. to begin investigating the situation. They don't know if it's... Is it possible that this just... It's the unluckiest family you ever fucking heard of. It is possible. Now, Mary Beth also brought her children to different locations for medical treatment. So all of her family's medical history was not Mm. able to be logged and viewed in one central location. So that's what I'm saying about her going to different hospitals. It's just surprising she keeps going to fucking St. Clair's. Yeah, and there's no, like, internet to sort of, like, cross-check references and databases of medical history. Like, again, it's the 70s. Well, on March 2nd, 1981, Mary Beth arrived at her pediatrician with two-and-a-half-year-old Michael, her adopted son. Now, Darren, are you ready for this? Michael was unconscious, and Mary Beth told the doctor she had found him passed out and had no idea what happened. Now, again, Michael is her adopted son, not genetically related to her. So all this genetic and DNA conversation is out the window here. 
And then sadly, Michael was pronounced dead at the pediatrician's office mm-hmm. during the exam. Now, this is now the eighth child, right? That she's that has been has died in her care, essentially. Uh, during the examination, the doctor found traces of pneumonia, but not enough to cause death. However, because Michael was adopted, this is the Tinning's medical Tinning's medical team's first big clue that the deaths were probably not caused by genetic defect. Okay. Okay. I would have thought this after maybe the third or fourth, but okay, this is where they are in their investigation. Doctors also noted that in past instances of her uh, children falling ill, Mary Beth always called an ambulance to bring them to nearby St. Clair's Hospital or took them to the emergency room, which was literally across the street from her house. But this time... Instead of seeking emergency help, she chose to wait until local pediatrician opened several the local pediatrician's office, excuse me, opened several hours later and was able to drive her son there herself. Now, a little bit of agency is now being included in her decision making here. It's not an emergency, I would say, if you're waiting until a certain office, you know, opens so that well, you yeah. can participate. You know. Well, that's true. So, Yeah, so police questioned Mary Beth the day after Michael's death, and she gave the following statement. Quote, When I went in in the morning to get him up, he was responsive to a point, but he was very limp and so on and so forth. And so instead of calling an ambulance, I went from our house, put him in the car, literally threw him in the car, and went to St. Clair's. Or, I mean, I went to Dr. Mele's office and went in there, and by the time one of the doctors, I guess, took me, and they said that he died of viral pneumonia. End quote. Sure. Sure. Okay, sure. Yeah, my 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 kid's not responding to anything, so let me just take a drive. Yeah. Just yeah. chill. Not, it's not well, Darren, an emergency or anything. No, nothing nothing to worry about here. Well, Darren, get ready for this, because in August of 1985, Mary Beth gave birth to her eighth baby. Is it eight Tammy. or is it nine at this point? I'm like, losing track. Is it yeah, nine? I'm losing track. I, I have no idea how many fucking kids this woman has. Like, it's a lot. Okay. It's a lot. Well, on December 19th of that year, Mary Beth went shopping with her neighbor, her neighbor, neighbor, (laughs) Cynthia Walter, who worked as a registered nurse. And after shopping, Cynthia spent some time hanging out at the Tinney house. And Cynthia recalls, quote, I stayed for a few minutes and I wanted to hold Tammy. But Mary Beth asked me to give the baby back. So I handed her back and then I went home, end quote, which sounds a little sus the way Cynthia is sort of recalling it. But. You well, know, right, because like details. eventually you're gonna have to give the baby back, baby back, baby well, back, course. baby back ribs. You know, like Your eventually baby back ribs, baby back ribs. Um, someone on the oh. batch, someone on the Bachelorette call, is, call, is called someone a baby back bitch, and now I just have to use it. <laughs> you're a baby back bitch. Yeah, okay. sometimes people are that way. Yeah. So this, I mean, like it's weird that she's saying this detail of giving the baby back because, like, yeah, I you're agree. eventually gonna give the baby back. Like, it's not yours. But I just feel like she was like Mary Beth was probably like, oh, Cynthia's a nurse. She might be noticing something. She'll, right. Maybe, uh, give me the baby back. Ribs. Yes. Give me the baby you back know? ribs. Yeah. Now this episode is called Baby Back Ribs. Now We're that evening, sure. Mary Beth called Cynthia, frantically crying, begging Cynthia to quote, get over here right now, end quote. Now, when she arrived, Cynthia found baby Tammy laying unconscious and not breathing. The baby had no pulse and was completely oh unresponsive. So let's just take a stroll out into the wilderness because it's yeah. not an emergency. And Tammy was brought to the hospital where she was pronounced DOA, dead on arrival, another SIDS death. There was Mm. nothing medically wrong with Tammy. However, after so many deaths, the hospital informed the authorities of their suspicions that Mary Mary Beth 
might be harming her children. Mm. The, Thank the thing God, after nine fucking instances of this. <laughs> well, the thing that's coming to mind, and maybe we'll get into more of this here in a second, but, like, what would be the motive of this? You know what I mean? Like, Wait, like, you're not getting life insurance policies yeah, on your kids. So, like, no, it's clearly just, I don't know, sickness? Psychological, yeah. Something? And the day after Tammy's death, Cynthia returned to Mary Beth's home to see if she could provide any comfort for her grieving friend. This is a nice friend. This is her ninth kid. Yeah. Just Now, right. instead, she found Mary Beth and Joe going about their morning as normal. Quote, they were sitting there eating breakfast, and I told them where I'd be if they needed me. End quote. Normal. Okay. You, you lose another kid. Normal. But now, also interesting that, like, they don't get up and, like, help her. They don't get up and, like, warmly invite her over. Like, the way she sort of describes it is, like, she just walked in on their very normal life and then just, like, walked out. After Tammy's funeral, Cynthia found it odd that Mary Beth had guests over to her house and treated it like any other brunch, smiling and chatting with people, but but didn't appear upset. Tammy's death didn't even seem to bother her. None of the children's deaths seemed to bother Mary Beth's husband, Joe, either. People close to the family noted that he seemed incredibly stoic in the face of all the loss, which... Men tend to, I think, do a better job or train to do a better, by yeah. better, I don't might kind of mean that pejoratively, that like men are tend no, to be more stoic in a lot of ways. Yeah. But after each death, he would wear the same funeral clothes and attend the services at the same funeral home, sitting quietly, never making conversations with anyone. After Tammy, and, yeah. Oh, I just want to mention like on that, to that point though, you know, like we've talked about the way people grieve a lot on this show and like. Everyone grieves differently. One of the things I think I've learned over the years on this podcast is like, I used to be like, oh, well, if your baby died, you have to react this way. Or if your husband died, you have to react this way or that way. And the reality is even innocent people are going to react however their brain right. processes it, you know? Absolutely. So, it's, a, it's our own defense mechanism in a lot of yeah. ways. Well, but that after, being said, though, yeah. too, sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting no, you. go for it. That being said... After your ninth child, like how well, do you respond? Well, shit, it's here. You know? Like I know, <laughs> yeah, but like really. something. Like, yeah, something you would expect. I don't yeah. know. Stop having kids. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right. After Tammy passed away, the local police investigators finally met to see what could be done about this bizarre case. They had been well aware of the deaths for some time, but as no one, as no cause of death was ever ruled out ruled on excuse me for any of the children mm -hmm. they were unable to intervene yeah. however they decided they could at the very least at the very min bring mary beth in for questioning i think that's a fair thing like you know nine dead children you would think they would want to like at least ask her some questions um well police brought mary beth in for an interview on february 4th 1986 i was a mere weeks old at that point um, upon their arrival at her home, Mary Beth said, quote, I know what you're here for. You're going to arrest me and take me to jail. Oh, interesting. Oh, all right. So she knows. Yeah. Oh, oh. she'd be. So she'd be knowing. She'd be knowing. There was no warrant out for Mary Beth's arrest, but police encouraged her to come in and answer some questions so that she could clear up any suspicion about her involvement in her children's deaths. Mary Beth agreed and was Mirandaized at the police station. She waived her right to counsel and agreed to talk openly with detectives. Detectives asked Mary Beth about what happened the night of Tammy's death. She stated that she had put her baby down to sleep and had gone in to check on her several hours later, at which point she discovered Tammy was no longer breathing. She tried to revive her daughter, and when the baby wouldn't wake up, she woke Joe up and then called an ambulance. 
But police didn't believe her story. All the children had died when Mary Beth was alone with them under the exact same set of circumstances. Correct. Investigators kept pressing Mary Beth for more information about the deaths of all of her children. When they confronted her about their suspicions of her involvement, she vehemently denied having anything to do with it. However, after several hours of questioning, she began to break down a little bit and her story gave way. She now claimed that she never hurt most of the children. And let me just say, originally she's like, the police come in and she's like, you're here to arrest me. And so then to be like, oh, I had nothing to do with it. It's like, well, Well, which one is it? If you're completely innocent, why are you assuming that these people are going to come in to arrest you? Yeah, exactly. Well, here she says to the police, quote, I did not do anything to Jennifer, Joseph, Barbara, Michael, Mary Frances, or Jonathan. Just these three, Timothy, Nathan, and Tammy. I smothered them because I'm not a good mother. I am not a good mother because of the other children, end quote. I mean, mental illness, clearly, because this is not, this is, you know, this is not, quote unquote, neurotypical behavior here now police brought joe in to speak with them when mary beth was allowed to speak with him she broke down and admitted to him that she had murdered their children how does he have no idea though like that's sussy in and of itself i I don't know investigators were within earshot during mary beth's confession detectives now called in a stenographer and took mary beth's formal statement she was now able to openly speak about suffocating her children stating quote I was about to doze off when Tammy woke up and started to cry. I got up and went to her crib and tried to do something with her to get her to stop crying. I finally used the pillow for my bed and put it over her head. I held it until she stopped crying, end quote. Now, she went on to describe how she then put the pillow back onto her couch to make it appear as though she had been sleeping. Quote, I screamed for Joe to wake up. I told Joe that Tammy wasn't breathing. I did CPR as stupid as it sounds, but I knew she wasn't alive anymore, end quote. So she's trying to, like, cover up her own sussiness. And yeah. when detectives asked Mary Beth why she killed her daughter, she responded, because she was always crying and I couldn't do anything right. I mean, listen, I'm not empathizing with her whatsoever. This yeah, is a, a murderer. screaming baby and a, and a parent being at their wit's end. Empathy. Sure. Empathy in that way for sure. But I guess what I mean, though, specifically is like, she sounds so mentally underdeveloped I don't know if that's the right way to put this but like you know when she's saying things like I didn't know what to do like obviously logic would tell you you're not meant to then smother your child right Right. so like very clearly there's a very serious psychological condition happening here where like she may not have the brain capacity of an adult let alone of a parent to make the right decisions and I'm not empathizing and I'm definitely not get letting her off the hook here but As we try to make sense of why people do this shit, you know, it's just the only thing that comes to mind. Well, Mary Beth continued to hold her statement that she had not harmed her other six children, which you had just named, John. And -hmm. when detectives questioned Joe, he seemed completely detached and even had trouble remembering the names of all of the children. Sounds like trauma to me, by the way. Blacking out, forgetting parts of your life that were traumatizing. Something, definitely something. Yeah, something. Police arrested Mary Beth for the three murders, at which time they chose to exhume the children's bodies for further investigation in the hopes that they were able to find a cause of death beyond SIDS. Now, there was a mix-up with one of the grave sites, which caused a different body to be exhumed instead of one of the children in question, this family, like, 
horrible. The other two bodies were brought in for autopsy, but it was determined that they were too decomposed for any meaningful meaningful examination. Mary Beth mm-hmm. was indicted for only one murder, her daughter Tammy. Wow. And at trial, the defense claimed that the children had died from genetic conditions, but seemed unable to state what disease may have actually killed the children. They claimed instead that it was some new disease. They didn't even live long enough to be diagnosed with a disease. So, like, how could that be a thing? Also, how do you know it's a new disease if you can't even diagnose what it is? Like, I just don't understand. (sighs) How do you know it's a disease? The prosecution relied on the testimony of a doctor who specialized in SIDS, who stated that Tammy did not appear to die from sleep apnea, and that it seemed infinitely more likely she had been suffocated with a soft object. She Mm. was. Well, in total, each side called in six different doctors to speculate on the children's cause of deaths, with the defense team's witnesses requesting to do full genetic workups on the entire family. Remember, there's apparently a genetic defect, so why not take a look at what that is? And I would say, by this point, you know, we're probably talking mid-80s or so here. You know, genetic testing is probably in its infancy, but could potentially, you know, be discovered in some capacity or another. Yeah. Um, Mary Beth refused to testify on her own behalf, a point that the jury seemed to find inexcusable as she was being accused of the worst crime a parent could commit. The jury deliberated for three full days before reaching a decision and finding 44-year-old Mary Beth guilty of murder. They later stated that although her admission of guilt played a huge role in their decision, they likely would have found her guilty without it. Yeah, I, I would mean, imagine I would that as well. I would say that's right. Mary Beth was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. In 2007, she became eligible for parole and petitioned the board for her freedom. At the hearing, she made the statement, quote, I have to be honest, and the only thing that I can tell you is that I know my daughter is dead. I live with it every day. I have no recollection, and I can't believe I harmed her. I can't say any more than that, end quote. And in my opinion, good news, Mary Beth's request for parole was denied. Yeah. In January of 2009, Mary Beth applied for a par- for parole a second time and gave a different story, this time stating that when she killed Tammy, quote, I was going through bad times, end quote. Okay. I, I, I just have no, like, this is just, sure. cr- you know, this is annoying me. The request uh, was also denied. In fact, Mary Beth was denied parole six times before she was finally granted her freedom just a few years ago, Darren, in August of 2018 wow. at the age of eight of 75. Excuse me. Mary Beth will remain, will remain under parole supervision for the rest of her life. She is committed to proving her remorse by working at her local church, food bank, and homeless shelters. And Mary Beth and Joseph are actually still married and living in Duanesburg, New York. Wow. So if you live in the area and you're shopping around at the farmer's market, be be on the lookout for Mary Beth and Joseph, uh, who are, you know. I just wonder how much of it actually yeah. played in the mom doing it. Because I wonder if it was a father, like, would they have been, if it was a single father, let's say, would yeah, they have suspected yeah. it more? Would if he gotten more time? Like, I understand that. I'm sure she's going through something. But, like, to she swears she didn't kill the other kids. But, like, come on. I know. I mean. It's very weird. Well, she was only tried for one. So, technically, by court of law, she was only guilty of That's one. True. Um, That's let's true. Let's end on a positive note here with some listener shout-outs. I'll take the first one. The show continues okay. to evolve into a cheese-it snack <laughs> podcast. Caitlin in our, F-book group, in our Facebook group said, not going to lie, had to go out and buy the spicy ones. I tried a free sample of the reg at Sam's Club and liked it this really has oh, become like let's rate the snacks in the fridge and drinks yeah and gummies yeah we're into all of it so yeah. we're into that 
By the way, I love that you called it F book. F book. I don't know. Something F-book. interesting about that. I'm, I'm okay. cool. La- yeah. Lauren in our F book group posted yep, a meme you. pic <laughs> that said, uh, quote, the perfect breakfast doesn't exist. And it was a picture of a man, Darren, pull it, pouring Baileys all over his cereal. Yes, I And I said, this. Darren, I was like, should this be a Patreon perk where like I do this and film myself doing it? Or yes. then I thought maybe we should do this on a live stream, like a future live stream. All of that is absolutely. All of that is going to happen. Okay, great. All right, wonderful. Um, I think we're going to do that. We we don't have any plans yet for our next live stream. It's probably going to happen in the coming weeks. So be on the lookout for an announcement right here on the show. I'm really looking forward to it. And you know, every single week, I feel like we're creating new phrases, f book, uh, new things to say, and of course, we have merch. And so as we create merch going down and down and down the line, and all these episodes. You can get your very own Shaken and Disturbed merch. You can have a t-shirt, hoodie, pillow, notebook, tote, whatever you want. Click the link to our merch store in the show notes of this episode and make sure to tag us on social when you've received it. Absolutely. And the best way you can support the show directly is by signing up to become a Patreon subscriber where you can get bonus episodes, discount codes for merch, and so much more. Maybe eventually you'll see me pouring Baileys all over my cereal on a live stream. Amen. Um, you can do this all for as little as $5 a month, and you can get it even cheaper if you sign up annually. And Darren, as you always like to say, you can also rate, review, and subscribe to us uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, which would go a long way for our show. And Darren, yes. I'm going to add one extra call to action here because I think that um, if you guys could share our episodes, that's always a really important way for us to get discovered as well. So try that out. That's actually change. a really good thing. We just we want to be with you guys and in the community. And of course, yeah. we got Taxidermy Tina to thank. Um, <laughs> she's still Taxidermy Tina until we think of the next yeah. The next nickname for her, but of course we have to thank her in order, you know, that she doesn't kill us at give the end of the love. day. Give her some yeah, love. Give her some love. In one, two, three. Thing. Thanks, Megan. Oh. 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 Thank you. And for that. Oh. Oh. Um, oh. Oh, and oh. Uh, we will see you guys next week <laughs> for another fresh case of Shaken and Disturbed. Bye, Johnny Bye-bye. Boy. Goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.